It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. And good morning, everybody. And uh, good morning. we are we are back uh, and uh, happy to be here. Happy to be anywhere, as I say. We had a, a week off, which is um, a, a good thing for me. Um, I hope it was a good thing for you, Peggy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. And- Although, boy, that was a fast, fast two weeks. Uh, it, it really did go by by very, yeah. very fast. Uh, I'm I could stand uh can we take two weeks in a row off? Can we do that sometime? I don't know. Maybe at the end of the so. year. Uh, I accept I that so. all our, our audience will melt to nothing in, in the meantime. So, um, and well, we, uh, and a big thank you, though, to the people who did watch the Best of Show last week. That was... Yeah, thank you for, for being with us. We, we appreciate that. We got a fantastic show for you today. Uh, lots going on. The magnificent Melinda Myers, and that's alliteration. She gets a ding there. Let's bring, I, I found I found the other one. I rescued it, so I've got Woo-hoo. both of them here. Um, and uh, we have the uh, NBC chimes here. Uh, in so, sometimes in the right order, sometimes not in the right order. Uh, oh, we're not NBC. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, and um, uh, our show today, we start with uh, Melinda. We'll be talking your fall garden. Believe it or not, even though it's muggy and warm outside and will be mm-hmm. um i guess even during the week uh, my outdoor plants are still loving it because it's still like a tropical but uh yeah. tropical the days season are still long enough yeah uh, and but we're going to talk about what you should be thinking about in your uh garden and planning uh, for the fall and for the winter mm-hmm. melinda will be here in just a second uh and then we talk to uh to uh catherine Tellick, uh who is uh, a person after my own heart because uh, she's decided to jump into the recycling fray in Chicago, which um, is very, very interesting. Um, she's a, a, a citizen activist and, and a, a sustainability leader in Chicago and took a course at the, uh, the CCC, Chicago Conservation Corps, at the Peggy Notabart Nature oh, yeah. Museum. And, and as a project, she said, I'm going to get the high rises in Chicago that are not recycling properly to do it. I'm like, yeah. And she needs, she needs volunteers. 
Um, and we're going to tell you if you live in the, I, I don't think you even need to live in the city of Chicago. You can be a carpetbagger and come in here. <laughs> Um, and help uh, get high rises to recycle. We're going to talk to her. We we have a very short time to do that. Uh, we'll let her do her elevator speech and maybe ask a couple of questions. And I hope to bring her back uh, with some other folks to talk about this project. Uh, and then finally, uh, we will be well. Not finally. We're not sure what finally happens. But then next, it's uh, the Reverend Brian Souter from Faith mm-hmm. in Place. They are having their sixth annual Green Team Summit, um, and he's going to talk about that. He's also going to talk about the bill that just passed the Illinois House, the Clean Energy Bill, uh, because uh, Faith in Place was one of the organizations um, uh, that's in the coalition to promote the bill, and I'm sure he's got a lot to say about that. It's supposed to go to the Senate uh, uh, tomorrow for a vote. Uh, so lots going on in the uh, environmental justice realm. And by the way, their Green Team Summit starts today, this evening. So this is a really good opportunity. And it's free. Yes. And you can sign up now. <laughs> right. You can do it right now. Just go to my website, MikeNovak.net. Go to uh, today's blog post, and it's got uh, all of the information you need uh, to uh, to. To attend, uh, it's called "Rooted for Healing." That's the theme. You've seen it probably at the bottom of the screen here, um, and uh, a couple of the spots the videos we... we've been running. Yeah. Right, um, and um, it starts tonight at five p.m. and goes to six fifteen. So you can register uh, anytime during the show now and attend for free. And then there are sessions on Monday and on Tuesday, uh, and uh, we'll talk to the Reverend Brian Souter about that. And now for the really oh wait and 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 we might even have Rick DeMaio. <laughs> we don't know. We're not sure. We we haven't seen him yet. So I have no idea. I got no graphics. I got nothing. So it's all going to be talk. Um and uh There's so, weather out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh but uh two two things uh other things. One of them's very very important. Uh it is Kathleen's birthday today. This is the important day. Wait, I, even better. Let's uh, get this. Okay. Kathleen, happy birthday. Um, and uh, I. Uh, this is the first... <laughs> I didn't even say happy birthday to her earlier. I'm wishing it to her on a live stream. This is the first time I've, I've said it. <laughs> hey, so, Kathleen, happy birthday. <laughs> I, I will be sleeping on the back porch tonight, uh, just to let you know. Uh, but uh, in odd, so Dan Dan Costa wished a happy birthday before you did. Um, it's quite possible. Uh, so uh, uh, we are going tomorrow. Uh, very cool. Something we talked about on the show the other week. We're going to Bullfrog Lake um, in uh, uh, in the Palos Preserves. We talked about that. How they lowered light levels there and you can you can rent a cabin so we're getting a cabin uh, we're going out tomorrow we're going to spend the uh, evening there and i'm really looking forward to it uh in the palos preserves uh of the cook county forest preserves problem is the reason you would go is so you could see stars because it's so mm-hmm. dark out there it's supposed to be cloudy tomorrow night i'm 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 kind of bummed 
about that part of it. But I think we'll still have a great time. And if we love it, we'll just come back. At, uh, on a, it's, a, it's hard, though, to make a reservation and know whether there's going to be stars, right. uh, whether it be clouds yeah. there. So uh, happy birthday, Kathleen. Uh, uh, and um, she is uh, 47 today just letting you know 47 and i know uh people don't like to have their birthdays revealed their, their ages just, revealed but just said thanks dan um and thanks mike and peggy <laughs> uh and as we go to our next guest um peggy malecki and i, I was going to give you okay uh there you go now that you've got your coffee and you're set to go, let us bring in our next guest, uh, who is our first guest, and that is the marvelous, the magnificent Melinda Myers. Melinda, good morning. Good morning. Happy birthday, Kathleen. And yes, Mike, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm in big trouble. And, and, you're, and your image is shifting. So I'm going to I'm see now I got to why does this happen? I don't I have no idea. <laughs> But I can move this like okay, that. There we go. Okay. Great. No, no, you don't. Right. You, don't need, you don't need to move no, anything. We don't need to move. Mike just needed to go. Whoop, okay. All right. That's right. Um, I'm going to give you, Peggy, a chance to mention Natural Awakening Chicago. The September issue is out, and the Melinda has an article in there. Um, tell us just a little bit about that, Peggy. Um, which I wish I had it in front of me, but I don't. Ah, come on. <laughs> But you can go it's to any couch. couch. <laughs> yeah, it's go to- on the couch with the natural waking stuff that got moved before the show. Uh, go to nachicago.com. There's a great article by Melinda Myers about fall gardening, which is what we're talking about today, and some great photos from Pasquazi, uh Home and Gardens. So well, copy the article. Let's give and them we'll their, their, about, their, uh, their plug right away then, as you mentioned it, because Melinda is going to be speaking about this very topic at uh, Pasquazi. Uh, it will be uh, online. It will be a virtual talk. Um, and uh, it is um, preparing your landscape for winter. Um, and that happens. No! <laughs> I know. <laughs> no! It is, it is. It's hard to believe. It's yeah. sad. It really is, isn't it? It's My just. Squash is doing great. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> There's still time. Hopefully, I've got a lot I got to get accomplished too before that first snowfall. But never too soon to prepare. Well, it's Tuesday, September 21st, so that'll be a week from this Tuesday at 6:30 p.m. to 7:15 p.m., followed by three and a half hours of Q and A. It, and I have to say, I stay online answering questions until there's nobody listening. So it has, <laughs> I think, two and a half hours is my record so far of just Q&A. But I figure wow. if, anyone's, if anyone's willing to hang in there to get their question answered, I'm willing to do the same. So Two and a half hours of Q&A? I, well, gardeners have a lot of questions. And this was also, you know, we were all pent up and... Yeah, you know, everybody mm-hmm. was, you know, missing each other and had a oh, long it... list of questions. This is during COVID, and yeah. but usually it's about an hour. I had a guy at State Fair uh, mention my tomato webinar, and he goes, "It was two and a half hours long. She was answering questions forever. It was great." <laughs> he, so he came to see me again. So I guess he was sincere and not like, you know, because they can hang up on me. I figure. You don't want to listen. You don't have to. So that is the joy of virtual, right? You don't get up and walk out and I see you leave. I can, yeah. you know, nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, if folks want more information about you, and I haven't mentioned all your 
uh, your myriad uh, accomplishments. Uh, they're just too long for me to list. We'll we'd run out of time. But uh, you've you've done radio, and and you're a really smart person. You bailed on radio. That is so <laughs> smart. <laughs> but he has two hundred written two hundred and twenty gardening books. <laughs> At least. <laughs> See, you're you're underestimating again, Peggy. Um, and uh, but she has written books uh, like uh, "Can't Miss Small Space Gardening." That's for a lot of us. Hello, I'm uh, I'm a small space gardener. Um, and uh, Midwest Gardener's Handbook. About five minutes before the show, I went. I have those books somewhere, and then I thought, I'm never going to find them. No, not, not now. Um, and of course, you uh, are part of the great courses, How to Grow Anything DVD series, um, and uh, of course, Melinda's Garden Moment segments are on TV. So you're still mm-hmm. on the T and V, um, even if you're not on radio. Oh, and by the way, oh, but they are, on and all of your and all of your too. great short videos too. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, and what was that, uh, Melinda? Oh, Melinda's Garden Moments are on radio also, so different stations oh. across the country. Well. But it's only a minute, so right. I haven't. I I'm not as brave as you and Peggy to, to do <laughs> yeah, all right this long a segment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, Melinda is a Hall of Famer. Hey, she's uh, in the uh, <laughs> the garden. Used to be the Garden Writers Association, now GardenCom, and uh, she was a, became a Hall of Famer and held up the trophy and everything in 2017. So, <laughs> congrats! Where is that? How come it's not behind you on the on the shelf there? There's no room on that shelf. Well, you know what? And I have everybody else's books. We were I was watching some interview and the author had all of their books, like 20 of every copy. And I'm like, oh, come on. I got everybody else's books. I don't need mine behind me. I need everybody else's books. You know no. what's in your book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But but I was talking about the award, the, the crystal uh, there. Ah. You know, uh, you know yeah. what? I That doesn't help me through the day. What can okay. I say? I'm very proud of it. Very grateful because I'm an active member of Garden Com, And um, it's always nice to be honored by your peers. But, you know, that was 2017. And I have articles to write and interviews to do with you guys. So. All right. So yeah. let's do it. Let's uh, talk about uh, well, Yeah. Yes. And we... <laughs> And we got a half an hour to plow through, and, and we won't even have a break until uh, 9.45. So uh, stick around. Uh, let's talk about the fall garden. What, and the first thing that you write about in the article in Natural Awakenings Chicago um, is leaves or are leaves. Um, and why is that, Melinda? Well, you know, in the Midwest especially, but really anywhere across the country, you can really see uh, that's one of the biggest projects we have in the fall. And a lot of people break out the rake. And for kids, it's great to jump in that pile that you've just raked into a nice neat pile. Then the kids jump in and spread them all over. And you remember how much fun it was, right? But we've got this bad habit of thinking they're bad things, that leaves are something we need to get off the property and have the city haul away. And that's the worst thing we can do. It's a great resource and it's free. And keeping it on our property is a good way to put that resource to use. So on your lawn, shred it with your mower and leave them on. If they're the size of a quarter, it won't hurt your lawn. I put my bagger on, Um, not so much now, I don't have many trees, they're all in the woods, so I just leave all the leaves there. But when I was in the city, I would bag them and then use them as mulch so I didn't have to rake them. And so I'd collect them and spread them on the soil surface. And one of the things they do besides conserving moisture, um, suppressing weeds, is they provide insulation for 
A lot of um, ground bees overwinter in the ground. Frogs and toads are underground. So that layer of uh, leaves is great for those of us, especially living in cold climates. So it's a good excuse to be a little less neat and tidy in your landscape by leaving those leaves mm -hmm. in the garden area, off the plant crowns, but on the soil surface. Uh, you're getting to um, a nerve, uh, which okay. is the idea of neatness in the garden. Oh. I think... Oh, yeah. Okay, we're not. Most people do not grow Versailles in their backyard. Okay, uh, I think neatness is anathema to um, healthy soils and we healthy grow versatility in our backyard and healthy Versailles. and ha healthy habitat. Yeah. Uh, so, um, how do you get people out of that crazy neatness freak uh, mode? Because uh, you know, I our, my next door neighbor on actually on that side. Um, yeah, I get that work. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, just she just chopped down all of the cup plants that were up. I mean, to the ground, and just wiped them out. And they were gore. Now they were had already started to go to seed. I, you know, I might get that, but but then she does that with everything and the hedge and yeah, the lawn. Don't leave and, the seeds for for the birds. Right. There's nothing. And and I think. When I lived in the city too, um, now I'm out in the country, so my neighbors don't really care because you know it's a whole different environment out here. But in the city, I was the one that left all my plants stand for winter. Mm -hmm. In my first book I wrote, I talked about leaving your perennial stand. And I remember I was teaching at the time and a graphic art instructor said, yeah, I read your book. You know, that whole thing about leaving your plant stand, I think you're just lazy. He goes, but I tried it. And my neighbor had two big spruces and he lived in a very urban area. And he said the birds would be in his neighbor's trees and then come down and feed on the seeds. And he goes, it was excellent. It was great. I had all this activity in my winter garden. I still think you're lazy, but <laughs> I understand now why you do it. And so I think part of it is trying to find out what's going to make people change those habits. So they may not be the same thing you and I are. You know, they may think we're lazy because we're leaving it stand. My daughter, when she was little, would always say, we have the messiest yard in the, in the area. And But she, as an adult, sees it. My gardens always looked beautiful in spring. She enjoyed yeah. the birds that came to visit. All the insects, she and her friends would go on bug hunts in my tiny little city lot. And so finding what really, you know, gets people excited and it's different. So maybe it's like, oh, I'm busy in the fall. I don't have time. And, you know, late spring, early summer, we usually have a little more time. We want to get out and start cleaning up the yard. There's a little more time and letting those pollinators emerge before we cut back the garden. You know, we're dying to get out there and do something in the spring. In the fall, we're bringing in pots if you're in the cold climates. We're bringing in our hoses. We're trying to close things down. And so by extending that winter interest, it brings in the birds that, oh, without the birds, winters would be very dreary here, right? Yeah. And so I, I think it's trying to find out what helps people understand that, one, it's not messy, it's nature, and two, it brings us a lot of joy in different ways. And what is it that brings them maybe some joy and excitement? Yeah. And there are some plants that you might want to cut back and get rid of. Good and, point. And others that you really, really want to leave up yeah. there, and those are the plants that have the uh, ho hollow stems. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like your cup plants and others with hollow stems, even if you need to cut them, you're not cutting them down to the ground like your neighbor did. 
Right. And you're leaving that opening too. So there's been mm -hmm. some other discussion about cutting things back, like your cup plants and things with the hollow stems. So the mason bees and other insects can get in there and nest as Peggy mentioned. And then if you don't want them to reseed, you're taking care of that as well. You know, if you've got a small city lot, I love native plants, but some of them are pretty aggressive in terms of self-seeding. Yeah. And so if you remove the seed heads of those that the birds maybe aren't their favorite, um, or cutting them back, as Peggy mentioned, so that there's easier access to those hollow stems is another thing. I always would rather thin out unwanted seedlings than eliminate the seeds for the birds, but that's a personal choice. Um, my ex-husband, and this isn't why, this is one of many reasons he's my ex-husband, would always sneak out when I was working and cut everything to the ground. And I, you know, and I know he was one of those neat and tidy horticulturists that, you know, wanted everything neat. And then he was tired of weeding out the coneflowers and the rudbeckias and the liatris that we'd have to weed out of our small city lot. And I'm like, but the birds, the birds. And so, you know, what can I say? First fall that it was my garden, everything stood, <laughs> yeah, except I'll... the diseased yeah. and insect infected, yeah. you know, right. bad insect infected plants. Let me ask you a question about that. Do you consider powdery mildew a reason to cut something back? You know, if you talk to a plant pathologist, they say yay. I My feeling is it's so omnipresent and... My peonies, I have to say, browned out to the ground this year. So there is nothing left. So really? I, I, cut, I know. I was amazed. I, boy, to the ground. And I think part of it was drought stress. I, my plants are, you know, I, I don't do a ton of watering. I try to conserve water to what really has to get watered. Um, they'll be back. So those I've cut back because they're brown and dried up. But everything else... I have powdery mildew on a lot of plants I normally don't because of the hot, dry weather, which most people think really a fungal disease when it's hot and dry. I I tend not to. If there's green leaves on there, I'm leaving them stand until the end. Uh, powdery mildew is everywhere. And mm -hmm. yes, you could reduce it a little bit by cleaning up. Maybe if I have a plant, you know, my peonies get it every year. Well, this year they browned out, so I cut them back. Those wow. are gone. Yeah. But I know, I know. I was surprised. You know, I, I was never, like, "What is that?" I've, I've, that I've either. some of my prairie plants the same thing this year already. They're just mildewed and browned out. It's like, how'd that happen? I know, and so I was really surprised. And so those I've cut back just because I don't want to be reminded that I'm a neglectful gardener. <laughs> so they're out. I've but, just um, never heard of a yeah. peony dying back to the ground, but I imagine it happens if it's dry enough. It did not here in my yard, but I cheated. I watered a couple of times. I um, watered a couple of times, but it's pretty. I have. I'm pretty open and full sun and wind, and I thought uh, I, I watered enough, but. Uh, you know, so we'll wait and see. I yeah. And these are ones. So, you know, the, part of gardening, failures are part of gardening. And we yeah. always learn something. So if they don't come yeah. back next spring, I'll let you guys know. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a failure. Exactly. That's it's the one course step of it. In, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I think we're all seeing some of the, and Peggy, that's interesting. You mentioned some of your native plants, because I have some too that are, they're not, totally browned out but they're they're pretty dry and they were established plants and mm -hmm. i've only watered a couple of times just because it's been so so dry but yeah part of it is you know picking plants that are going to survive with whatever water we get or 
pretty much with whatever water we get. And I want to get into the subject of, of watering in the fall, which I think really confuses people. Watering in summer, that's, that's easy. You know, you know when it's dry in the fall. It gets cool, and it's still dry, and a lot of folks um, have no idea. They think, well, nature will take care of that some way. But before we do that, real quick, uh, let's, uh, some of the plants you might want to keep. Now, I would argue that I'm going to keep my Monarda up because the seed heads will provide mm-hmm. nourishment for birds, even though I've got some powdery mildew uh, on, on the stems. Um, the other plants... And you probably always will anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's the Monarda. Line is, if you're going to cut Monarda it back, you're still going to get it, right? Sorry, Mike, go ahead. So, no, yes, no, no, I'm no, no. That's okay. On the Monarda, totally. So, um, Echinacea. Echinacea. Uh-huh. Right. Um, Joe Pieweed, I've seen in the spring uh, or or late winter, I've seen birds feeding on the Joe Pieweed. And uh, it's uh, so I I would keep that up, even though that can get floppy on you. I mean, pretty much everything can get floppy on you by the end of Redbeckia. Anything else that uh, you might keep up, Melinda? I just leave everything up because, you know what, I'm always amazed. You know, the apenis are the only thing that got cut back, and that's. Nobody's eating the seeds, right? They're not providing any value to the wildlife over winter. And so, and they're brown and they're dead to the ground. So they're gone, but I'm not cutting anything else back unless, you know, if I have some mild, I'm trying to think, I don't really have any other disease issues. It's been so dry. Mildew's really all I'm seeing. Um, And so that's the only time I get rid of things um, is if it's, if there's another disease, you know, that's not typical, you know, yeah. a rot kind of disease that, you know, in yeah. hostas or, you know, even on, I'm trying to think of what well, else. Well, on peonies, you might get botrytis. Right. And that pruning that out and getting it out of there in the fall is also a good idea. The purpley black spots in the stems and the leaves. And so that's definitely worth, but they're not providing winter value. Not no winter interest and nothing really for the birds or I don't think any native insects overwinter in the stems. Yeah. So good point. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stephanie wrote uh, regarding peonies. I don't think it matters if you clean up, etc., to prevent powdery mildew. I see neighbors do the traditional cleanup, and their peonies peonies still get powdery mildew even more than mine. And I don't do much cleanup. Uh, but as you mentioned, peonies don't have a real purpose in over the winter except. Uh, to harbor disease, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So my feeling is with peonies, you're probably better off cutting them back to the ground. And they're really hardy. So also leaving plants stand for winter increases hardiness, your perennials. And so that's another reason for, you know, you've invested money. Peonies are har- very, very hardy. So that's not an issue for them. The other thing I'm cutting back this year that I never cut back is my asparagus because I had asparagus beetle this year really bad and never got out and treated it. And they do overwinter in the stocks. So I'm, and they're not doing anything good. So I'm going to cut back. And I always leave my ferny growth stand for the winter because it catches snow and, you know, yeah. but I'm cutting those back this fall just to try to help hmm. reduce the beetle issue. I'm cut leaving mine up because next year oh, i usually do yeah it's going to yeah but next year for me is going to be the first year i can harvest <laughs> yay yay now the problem is i i'll probably harvest like six stalks uh i i, I don't have well, I that's don't... when you get out the fanciest platter in the house uh, <laughs> I, artistically arrange them use the finest flowers around them I, I, when i put them in a, a, like three years ago because i and i've been really extra careful i've been waiting um 
all almost all it was a really wet spring and all of the roots rotted except for two and and they've spread you know which is kind of good uh, but they don't spread that far, that fast. Yeah. So um, we each get one stalk next th- spring. <laughs> this spring, this spring, I'm going to put more. I, I say that I've said that for the last two years. Well, this spring, I'm getting more asparagus roots. You but can, you can put it, plant them from seed, and they'll come I, off. I have a question for you, and I should have looked this up myself, Melinda. When you harvest uh, a crop of asparagus, it sends up more shoots. You can continue harvesting. You get a couple of harvests out of it, don't you? Oh, yeah. It's like once it's established, six to eight weeks, you can keep cutting. So um, and if you don't, then those spears go to that ferny growth and then it kind of shifts gears. So once it's established, you know, you can harvest for six to eight weeks. So maybe I'll get 10 stalks out of it. So Peggy, you might get two stalks instead of one. (laughs) No, no, maybe none, right? One other thing I was going to mention about cutting back plants if you're cutting them too far to the ground and you're planning to do anything in the spring it's really hard to tell where the later season perennials are especially those late to emerge things like butterfly weed and um, hibiscus the hardy hibiscus those great point um you know because if you are planting i think gardeners plant spring through fall at least i do and i'm always adding and filling in so leaving those stems are good markers. Some people will plant yeah. bulbs by those late to emerge perennials um, just to mark the location and kind of a visual barrier so you don't do that. But good point, Peggy, leaving those stems stand. And even when you do your cleanup, um, you know, leaving a little bit above ground so it's a good marker. It, it, it stays intact and it, it prevents some accidental digging or damage. Uh, speaking of cleanup, again, um, I read in a very reputable source uh, a person talking about well it's may now i've got to get all those old leaves out of there it's about time and i just shook my head and said no why why are you doing that because by june you're they're all going to be decomposed now the the uh, decomposition is accelerating with the warm weather there are some folks that just uh, they, they they start having the the heebie-jeebies and uh, i gotta get those old leaves out last of- in my garden And you know what? They're the best mulch. It's free. You know where it came from. And it is great. And, you know, I usually, I love using leaves as a mulch. And that's what I did when I lived in the city. I had a small lot. We always joke, we don't know where all the leaves came from. Because I would have leaves from trees that I didn't see within three blocks. So either the wind, my one neighbor used to say, I think they bring truckloads and dump them in the alley. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. using them. Yeah, free leaves. Um, you know, exactly. So you're right. Um, having them on the soil, it's the best mulch. Adds organic matter, nutrients, and it suppresses weeds. And like Peggy, I found those leaves stayed intact quite a long time. So, you know, I didn't have to deal with weeds most of the summer. Yeah, uh, But the other thing you mentioned in the story you wrote for Natural Awakening Chicago is uh, burying leaves to add tilth to your soil. soil. Tell us about that a little bit. You know, if you really have lousy clay soil, or I'm in sandy soil now, and mm-hmm. so adding those leaves that you take off the lawn and dig them in, they're going to decompose. It's like trench composting on a much larger scale. And so they'll break down over winter, and you've got all that organic matter. And then that's, again, free. You're not buying compost from the garden right. center if you're not making it yourself, or peat moss, or core. You're converting this resource into a way to improve your soil. Now, I know you and I talked a bit, Mike, you like to put your leaves on the soil surface, which I agree 
You know, when your soil's in halfway decent shape, that's a great way to improve the soil. Again, when I was living in the city, you know, I constantly was working my soil, but eventually it was just using organic mulches. And that just fed the soil, kept it in good shape. But if you want to jump start it a bit, that's another way to do it. Or I do lasagna gardening. And so I create compost, basically a cheap composting piled high or a compost pile to create garden soil above ground. And that's a great way to use fall leaves, your garden clippings, all that material. If you don't want to wait five years, 10 no. years to have really lousy soil be much better. And so Melinda. Okay, um, go yes. ahead, Peggy. No, go ahead. So for a small yard or even a large yard, but that's got established beds where there's not really room for someone to be doing this, what's the best approach? You know, when in terms of dealing with your leaves, um, what I did in the city, I had a small compost bin in the corner where I would take things I couldn't. But I was really very good about pulling annual weeds before they flowered. And I used those as mulch. I just tuck them behind my shrubs. And so nobody mm -hmm. really saw it. They made a great living, a great mulch. And they hadn't gone to flower seeds, so they weren't going to recede. Quack grass, fine weed, those are different stories. Shredded leaves, too, tucking them under your shrubs or your leaves, leaving them intact. Um, and I had a small annual uh, vegetable garden right by my garage. So it was only, what, three by 15 feet maybe. And so initially I would dig my leaves in there. And then I just started using it on top of the soil and then watch it as it was a mulch. And that would great. Perennial beds, same thing. Excellent mulch. Um, and as it breaks down, it's going to improve that soil too. So finding those bare places in soil and between your plants, excellent way to repurpose all that material. Now, quackgrass, a friend of mine who taught me so much about composting, said the only place for quackgrass is you burn it and spread the ashes on cement. And when I would say, and when I'd say that at a talk, there'd be people going, "Hmm, is she serious?" <laughs> no, I'm not serious. But quackgrass is not something that you really want to repurpose no. in the landscape unless you solarize it. And a lot of municipalities will let you dispose of it in the landfill, check what their regulations are, because it's going to survive most compost piles, and then you'll be putting it right back in the garden. Okay. One of the th you mentioned uh, lasagna gardening, but you didn't yeah. mention eugleculture. <laughs> and, and, and the only reason I, I br bring it up is so I get to say eugleculture. <laughs> and what is lasagna gardening other than growing tomatoes and spinach and cheese? And, and what is eugleculture? <laughs> and I have to laugh, Peggy, because when we did the Melinda's Garden Moment video, the crew was so excited. They're like, all right, we're going to grow all the ingredients for lasagna. And then I brought out the leaves and the grass clippings free of herbicides and all of those things. And they were like, mm, this doesn't look so tasty. No, and their so stomachs were like, wait a minute, promise us lasagna. <laughs> exactly. So it's basically, you mark out your garden bed, a couple layers of newspaper to suppress any weeds or grass that's still there if you cut it really short. I always like to edge a garden bed just to keep any things I don't want encroaching. Then I put eight to 10 inches of green or in brown material. So grass clippings that haven't been treated with a weed killer, vegetable trimmings that didn't warrant being served in the meal, plant-based that is. Um, your fall leaves, mix that up. Spread about an inch of compost over the top, sprinkle it with some fertilizer, another eight to 10 inches, and then cover the area 
with a little bit more compost and then you can plant. I built my garden and planted right away. The benefit of doing it in the fall, you have all these resources so you can build it in the fall. It will settle, you know, start at 24 inches and it'll settle about to 12 by spring. And after a couple of years, it's even with the surrounding soil. But I, some of my lasagna gardens built 10 years ago, I can still tell the soil is still much richer than the sandy mm. soil surrounding it. And then Hoogle culture gardening, as <laughs> Mike <laughs> likes to say. Hoogle <laughs> <Exactly>. culture. <laughs> I feel like we need to yodel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with the performers here, much better than me. Um, and it's kind of lasagna gardening taken one step further. So. The bottom layer are logs and branches, the big carbon-rich materials. And if you think of a tree falling in the woods, it takes decades for that to break down. It absorbs moisture. It decomposes slowly, releasing nutrients. So you're putting some of those logs and branches and things like that on the bottom and your leaves. Then you cover it with, and then you build your lasagna garden on top. Now, I dug a trench two feet deep because I have sand and a lot of wind. And so I didn't want this huge pyramid above ground that would dry out quickly. And I just made more of a two foot high raised bed starting two feet under the ground. No black, um, black locust, no black walnut, and no cedar. Mm -hmm. Those break down really slowly. And then black walnut is phytotoxic right. to some other plants, allelopathic. And so you build that and it gives you decades of benefits. It absorbs the moisture. And again, it's one of those that are, my two feet settled down even with the ground, but that soil is so rich that I can definitely tell that outline of my original Hugo culture garden. So uh, you get benefits for years and even decades to come. And I have uh, videos on both of those on my website. So you can maybe see course you do. Of course I do. Of course you do. And you know why uh, when a tree falls in uh, the forest that it, it doesn't decompose quickly? It's because nobody heard it fall. What I'm doing. All right. Okay. okay. All right. Let's get to All right. What about our lawns? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want, uh, <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, who's, whose show is this anyway? Melinda. Uh, uh, well, it is. It's her show today. Uh, yeah, let's do a little bit quickly on lawns. We don't have a whole lot of time, but this is the perfect time to work on your lawn all year long. Okay, folks, the, 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 the big company companies are going to tell you in the spring, now's the time. Get out the fertilizer. Slam it down. You better work on your lawn now. No. Now is the time, and we're still in the middle of August. I'm sorry, September, which means that you could still do some overseeding as well. So tell us just a little bit, Melinda, about the kinds of things that folks can do to their lawns. So the first thing is evaluate, and this is a great time to fertilize, as Mike mentioned. If you didn't do your Labor Day fertilization, now's a great time to help your lawn recover. If you have a thin lawn with, with patches that are smaller than a baseball dead, Sometimes fertilization is all you need to do to help it recover. The plants are putting down root growth. They're spreading with their rhizomes. So fertilization, once, even one fertilization, according to the UW Extension Specialist, on an established lawn, and if you leave your clippings, that may be enough nutrients for that established lawn, one fertilization. And research and what, found that... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and what and type said, of fertilizer? A low nitrogen, slow release. Of course, those that know me will know I promote malorganite because it's low nitrogen. It won't burn your lawn when we have this hot, muggy. Yes, malorganite <laughs> appreciates that, Mike. It won't burn your lawn if we have hot, dry weather, which we have in the forecast. And it just stays there until 
the microorganisms can release at 85% organic matter. So it's feeding your soil as well as the plants. So, and if you don't do malorganite, look for a low nitrogen, slow release. Organic based ones are wonderful too, just because they feed the soil. Overseeding, if your lawn is really thin, I really recommend either core aerating, so that'll break holes in the thatch layer and leave openings for good seed to soil contact. If you dethatch your lawn, it's going to look awful. You're going to have all that debris that you can compost, all that thatch that it pulls up, but then it exposes the soil surface. So if you overseed, it has good seed to soil contact. And the only time you cut your grass short is right before you're going to overseed because you want to get that good soil, seed to soil um, contact too. So if you cut your grass, you know, that's going to allow more sunlight in and um, let those grass seeds germinate. But yeah, core aerating or dethatching is going to help you get good seed to soil contact or just try fertilizing if it's not that bad. If you, you know, it may, that may be enough. Here, here's what I would add to that. And, and, and regarding cutting your, um, your, your lawn back a little bit lower. Uh, generally, we want it like three, three and a half inches. Right. Uh, and a lot, most people don't do that anyway. So you're, pro <laughs> you're probably cutting your lawn too, too short right now. Uh, and then, uh, as you say, Melinda, if you're going to overseed, cut it a little shorter. The other thing is, at the end of the year, uh, cut it shorter as we go into winter, and it'll protect it against certain uh, winter diseases. But it doesn't need to be one inch tall. No, no, you know, no, we're no. We're talking no. maybe just slightly shorter. And even if you're keeping your grass two and a half inches tall, you're fine. You don't even yeah. need to go any shorter. If you're keeping it four inches, your lawn will be okay. But you may want the look of a little bit shorter lawn. And then you don't have the grass laying down and covering either. And plus, you've got those leaves to deal with. So you can cut your grass and gather your leaves. So then you've got that green and brown material for your lasagna garden or your compost pile yeah. or to mulch your garden. You're mulching more. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You're, you're typing too hard there, Peggy. You <laughs> no, just knocked no, over your no, computer. My hand hit the laptop, which is on a stand. Yeah, Sorry. okay. Um, and, uh, and the other uh, caveat uh, on that is uh, my feeling is I, I'm – I, I like the fact that you promote Melorganite because it's organic. Uh, other organic fertilizers, there's a lot of great companies out there. The nitrogen levels are so much lower than in the uh, synthetic blends. And, you know, when you put nitrogen with 28% with, uh, by weight, you're probably going to put too much because most people are not going to measure it carefully enough. Um, and read and follow label directions, folks, and don't overdo it. Underdo it. That would be better. Underdo it. Um, and uh, don't do it before a storm because it's going to wash right out into our, our sewers. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other reason to keep leaves on your property, not rake them to the curb and wait for the municipality to pick them up because it always rains. My neighbors always park their cars on their leaves in the city. And then they end up in the storm sewer. And then the city sends the street and storms, the street and sewer crew out to clean them out. So they are polluting our waterway. So we're spending all this money trying to get rid of a resource that's so important to our gardens mm -hmm. and our landscape and then we buy it back in a bag to put back on so let's you know cut out the middleman and keep it on our property and i know it's challenging i was a small space gardener for 26 years so i i get it i understand how challenging it is yeah to but you to know keep it all on your prep but you can 
I but but I'll tell you, small space gar- gardeners don't have to worry about their lawn so much. It's so much easier to take care of your lawn <laughs> if you're you know, especially me. I've just got enough so I can walk barefoot in my yard. Uh, I don't ever fertilize it. To tell you the truth, compost. You could put compost down. We miss that too. Put a layer. If you're going to core aerate, core aerate. Throw some compost down, then put your seed on top of it, and it has a, a place to contact uh, soil. Yeah, and a lot of companies. There are a few a few companies starting to do more of that sustainable lawn care, where they will come out. There's one company in the Milwaukee area that uses a hydro seeder to spread compost. So for a small space, you know, a wheelbarrow compost you dump, but you spread it with your rake, and not bad. But you know, when you start getting to larger lawns convincing people that that's a good way to burn calories and work out your muscles. I haven't been successful, but you know, I think if you can find easy, if we help people find easy ways to do it. And I think some companies are starting to realize there's a market for it. So exactly. Good point, Mike. I should have mentioned that. Thank you. Oh, no, good no, thing no. To do. I, yeah. I, I'm just always a, a people, a lot of folks are not aware that you can use compost on your lawn. And, it, of course, you need to – it should be sifted uh, so you're not you know, throwing twigs and other things on there. But, but if you if you broccoli stalks right exactly if you leave your uh, banana peels uh, and if you if you leave your grass clippings and compost a couple of times a year you might not even have to fertilize it kind of depends on what kind of soil you have but uh, and and research on perennial gardens and just adding that in there spreading compost every other year they found that if your soil's decent that's all you need to do you don't even need to fertilize and if you do have some struggling ones you could spot treat them instead of fertilizing the whole garden bed and i have sandy soil and i use leaf mulch and you know whatever organic mulches i have and i don't fertilize a lot because i find i get good plant growth right plant for the situation and i just fertilize as needed not because it's spring or not because you know it says it's time to do that let your plants be your guide and your landscape practices will determine when you need to fertilize and take care of your plants yeah i tell folks uh garden talks that in terms of trees shrub you know unless you're a tree care person but home gardening, in terms of trees, shrubs, and perennials, fertilization is overrated pretty much. Um, uh, you know, for vegetables and for annuals, you might want to do some of that. But if you've got healthy soil, if you're contributing to it by leaving the leaves and adding compost and doing the sorts of things that Melinda's mentioned, often you, you don't have to do any fertilization at all. Exactly. And if you build your soil, you're going to have beautiful gardens, fewer disease problems, and they'll be able to tolerate what does happen to them. So that's why I have faith my peonies are coming back. All right. So, <laughs> well, and you'll save money by doing it yourself. All exactly. right. Good point. <laughs> all right. We, guess what? We're out of time. We're done. Okay. Uh, and uh, But we should plug uh, your event one more time. Can you do that, Melinda, or do you need us to, uh, to nope, jump I, in? I this time I wrote their address. But <laughs> I'm not going to be there. I'm going to actually be shooting a video there tomorrow to talk fall, things you can do in the fall for Pasquazy. But the webinar is virtual, so you don't even need to get in your car. It's on September 21st, 630, as Mike mentioned. I'll do a, a little bit on what to do to get your landscape ready, and we'll talk with pollinators in mind, of course. 
for winter. And then also check my website because I have other webinars scheduled. One this week on hydrangeas. I know that's a big topic. So they're free. Just you do register just to keep us from getting Zoom bombed and uh, free. So register ahead of time. But join me for Pasquazi is a great partner. They have great stuff. So I'm shopping tomorrow after I do my video so that I can mm -hmm. spruce up my fall landscape. So thank you guys. Always a pleasure to chat with you too. And uh, be aware that we have the links uh, at MikeNovak.net. So you, you can find it there. And uh, Melinda, uh, always great to see you. Uh, it's, it's always uh, too short. Someday we'll just uh, sit down here for, for the whole two hours and just wax poetic and we'll see if anybody stays with us i think we're at zero right now okay uh, <laughs> it was too long okay yeah. actually so ernest out in portland said wow the time went by so quickly great info so, so well, there thanks you go. ernest uh, all right melinda you, <laughs> you guys you, take care you too it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki more to come stick around you can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. You know, Kermit, by recycling, we save valuable landfill space and help clean up the environment. You know, what are you recycling here anyhow, Fuzzy? Oh, bottles, mm -hmm. cans, paper, and snoo. Snoo? What snoo? Nothing. What snoo with you? Ah! To find out how you can help clean up the environment, write to Make a Difference, National Wildlife Federation, Washington, D.C., 20036. Even that snoo joke was recycled. Ah! <laughs> I did that, of course, in honor of our guest here, Catherine Tellick, who is with the Gorilla Recycling Project. And I noticed, uh, Catherine, that we spelled, I spelled Gorilla right uh, on, on uh, your uh, identification there on your Chiron. <laughs> Uh, welcome to, to, to the show, Catherine. We have just a few minutes here. Uh, we got about 10 minutes to, uh, to, to get your story out and, and we hope to bring you back to talk a little more about it. I wanted to get you on because you're looking for volunteers for a project, the gorilla recycling project in Chicago. Um, and as we all know, and I won't go into too much detail, I've been railing about recycling in this city for oh, about 20 years. Um, yeah. And it's still bad. In fact, it's gotten worse over, over the years since uh, I've been talking about it. And I was part of the Chicago Recycling Coalition. Full disclosure, I am now on the board of the Illinois Recycling Foundation. Um, and all that means is that I volunteer more time to try, try to, to fix things. You didn't uh, run fast enough, in yeah. other words. Um, so Catherine is a citizen activist and aspiring sustainability leader in Chicago, in her own words, uh, the co-founder of the Chicago of Chicago Environmentalists Group, which you can find on Facebook. Also the founder and director of Cleanup Club Chicago. Um, 
And then you took a, a course at uh, the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum uh, via the uh, Chicago Conservation Corps. Tell us about that and, and how it got you into this project. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me on the show, Mike and Peggy. I really appreciate this opportunity to um, promote the project and continue looking for volunteers. Um, as far as the course, it is the Sustainability Leadership Course. I believe that's the proper name for it at um, the Peggy Notabert Nature Museum. And it's an eight week course. It's really fantastic for anybody who you know, hasn't heard of it or hasn't taken it, I strongly recommend. Um, but at the end of it, they give you a project, or you have to create your own project, and they give you a small budget to work with. And this is my project. Um, basically, I have been pretty focused on recycling issues for the last year and a half. Obviously, it doesn't compare to your, you know, 20 plus years, Mike. Um, but um, I basically chose to tackle something that I thought could be feasible for the average citizen to take on um, in terms of trying to correct our recycling problem. Um, and that is the enforcement of the recycling ordinance. Um, it's motivated mainly by the fact that the, um, the Department of Streets and Sanitation is supposed to be enforcing that ordinance. But as we've seen from, you know, many articles and the recent report from the Office of the Inspector General, um, they most certainly are not doing that and haven't been for years. Um, so and, basically, and, oops, uh, excuse me for a second, Catherine, you're, you're talking uh, larger apartment complexes or small residential or both? So the ordinance applies to buildings, residential buildings with five or more units as well as any commercial building. Um, okay. But I will say that in addition to that, there are plenty of residential buildings with one to four units that uh -huh. still don't have recycling, which still doesn't make sense to me because it's technically under the blue bin system and actually does not cost them anything. But there are still plenty of people who have complained and said like, we, our, my landlord doesn't have any bins and they don't know that they can request them themselves um, because really that's not something they should have to do as renters, right. you know? Um, so, yeah. So basically that ordinance applies to most big buildings, um, but DSS hasn't been enforcing it. Um, and, you know, they're certainly not proactive about enforcing it. And even when you put a request in the system for years, it's been, uh, very rarely enforced and you'll get sketchy answers that you know are not true. Um, I will say that the 311 system was recently like updated to allow DSS staff to cite a building for a violation. Um, for years, that seems like it was not either not in place on the back end. That's not giving them an excuse for not citing people. Um, obviously, it's their responsibility to make sure that that option exists on the 311 system. Um, but I do know now, and I've heard from two board superintendents, that that is now like fully set up. So there is no excuse um, for from anyone to not be able to cite or you know warn a building or cite a building for violating that ordinance. Um, but even though that's in place now, the lack of recycling enforcement 
means that there are many, many thousands of locations across the city that are still not in compliance. And that's supported by the fact that the uh, MyBuildingDoesn'tRecycle.com website, which is Chicago-based, has over 3,500 en entries in it. Um, mainly, I think it's from 2015 to 2018 um, is when most of them are from. It hasn't had, I think it hasn't um, been accepting new entries for the last year or two years, but, you know, still 3,500 entries on there. Um, which and, is just the tip of the iceberg, I'm sure. Right. And the, to be clear, these are citizens who said, my building doesn't recycle. That's the yeah. title of the website. And so they reported yeah. that on the website. And this is when the city was doing nothing. Um, and and uh, to go back just a little bit, in, in December of last year, the Office of the Inspector General did a report and said, yeah, uh, Department of Streets and Sanitation is not recording these. They are not fining people. And then the Delta Institute came out with a study uh, in July, and they said, well, here's 63 ways we could fix this. Uh, has any of it happened? We don't know. So you're deciding to take the ball and run with it right Something now. Happened. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the other thing about the Delta studies, I don't believe enforcement was a part of it, um, which I was surprised by, but I still think that that is a, an important part of our problem um, because they won't do it if there's no penalty um, or a lot of people won't. So um, basically the, hold on, look this up. Uh, yeah, so as I mentioned before, um, Every residential building um, with five or more units in every commercial property is required to have a recycling service in the city of Chicago. That's the way the ordinance is written. Um, and that is why, or and basically DSS is not proactively enforcing it or reactively enforcing it. Um, so that's why I decided to take it on because if they won't do it, then we will. And there's plenty of people in the city that I know care about this issue based on the number of people in Chicago environmentalists um, who I know care about this stuff. I figured I could find some people to take care or to help. Um, and I've so far found 20, but I'm looking for more because we want to get, um, we would like to get at least 500 violations reported. Uh, um, and what do these people do? We have only a, a couple of minutes here. What is it you're asking folks to do? Yeah, so basically the... Okay, so basically each volunteer is asked to take a batch of locations close to where they live and verify whether the recycling bins are present by walking into like a public alley or asking a building resident. It's all, you know, public access. We're not trespassing or anything. Um, but if needed, um, if you if you can't see any bins, because some buildings will keep them inside mm -hmm. um, or, you know, if it's a commercial building, you might not be able to reach it. Um, basically then we encourage people to call the building owner or management directly to ask, um, if the violation is found, then volunteers are encouraged to file a report with 311 and, um, follow up on that report as needed. And then we ask them to fill in the data of like what they found on a spreadsheet so that I can keep track of it for my own records and see how things went. Um, we are encouraging like a lot of it is residential but we are encouraging people to also find their own because frankly if you walk down any alley behind like major streets in the city with lots of businesses like you will find tons of violators it's very 
like it's very upsetting um i've been doing it on my dog walks um or like when i walk my dog it's very easy to find violators um and and how do you do that how do you know if somebody's in violation yeah so if you go behind a, a big building and you see um you know especially a large residential building if you've ever lived in a big apartment building you know they have the dumpsters in the back and the recycling bins next to them if you go to the back of a huge apartment complex and you see dumpsters for trash and no nothing for recycling you can be pretty sure that they're they don't have bins um because why would they be keeping those inside and the dumpster outside i've never seen that happen before yeah um, and, and in so, that case do you do you encourage your volunteers then to check with the building before they file a report no in that case they're going straight to filing if they witness that in person if they can't find um any bins at all they can't see anything then we encourage them to call um and we encourage them to call for anything that's like a big business because we're targeting big businesses as well and event venues like Wrigley Field, Soldier Field, Guaranteed Rate Park uh, or Guaranteed Rate Field. Um, uh, it's, also... it's 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 Sox, Sox Park. That's what. Yeah, Sox Sox Park. Park. No, it's Comiskey. Comiskey. Yeah, Comiskey. Comiskey. I'm not from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Sox Park. I mean, we're doing major event venues. We're also doing big businesses like you know Walmart and Target, and those we have to call like operations and get confirmation. So yeah. each, each one of the major you know big big fish kind of you have to have two people, or we're having two people call just uh-huh. to get a you know, consistent answer before we report. Well, yeah, yeah, but maybe uh, to helping people verify they can check with each other. We're uh, we're about out of time, but I want to let folks know if they're interested in signing up for the Gorilla Recycling uh, Reporting Project, which is what it's called on your sign-up sheet, you can go to my website. And, Peggy, uh, I've got the link uh, on, on the blog post. I don't know if you have it, but you should send it out to our chat function here uh mm-hmm. and folks can sign up uh you have about 20 volunteers right now is that right yeah so uh just to add i put the link to the form in the chat already um so it should be in there oh okay great um, for who wants to sign up yeah and then if you want to put it on the blog or, or somewhere else as well um yeah, yeah. On the front page. Uh, the yeah chat- it's in the chat thing. I'll, I'll put it up there so do you have to live in chicago to do this or can you be from anywhere. Yeah, so I'll just add like real quick few details um, before I gotta go or before you guys have to go. But um, basically, yes, we have 20 people participating. I'm looking for 10 to 15 more people to reach that goal of 500 violations. Um, and you don't have to live in the city of Chicago to volunteer because if you live in the suburbs, we can just assign you major like business locations and you can just call. Um, obviously the people who live in Chicago will be given a batch of addresses close to their home. So that that's, you know, that's the priority for them. If you're outside Chicago, we'll just give you places to call instead. Um, the project is running from August to, or like it already started, but it will run through November 12th. And it's most likely to require a few hours of time over the course of these months. Um, the more of the work is up front um, because you got to go do the checks and calls and whatnot. And then it, then it requires just like filling in the spreadsheet and checking on the violations afterward. Um, and I should add that those who complete the most checks and find the most violations will be eligible for gift card prizes. So there will be prizes to the first, second and third place. Um, I don't know, uh, reporters. So, yeah. 
valuable oh, wallet nice. prizes. All right. Nice incentive, but it's an incentive. So yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, yes. thank you for uh, for starting this. Uh, it'd be interesting to see mm-hmm. what happens. We hope to have you on back to talk about this and maybe bring somebody with you and, and talk about the, the particular issue of getting our high-rises in the city of Chicago uh, to recycle properly. The the blue carts are another matter altogether. The recycling rate is around 8%, which is terrible, um, but uh, that's overall. Um, although even that is debatable, the city doesn't keep accurate numbers. They're not particularly transparent, as we know, so this is all part of the issue. Um, so... Yeah. Thank you so much, Catherine, uh, for, for being with us. Uh, and again, uh, if you go to the chat function here, you can see it, but you can also go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and there will be a link there if you want to get involved. And I, I hope we talk to you real soon. Okay. Thanks so much, Mike, and I hope everybody who's interested uh, signs up. Okay, great. great. It's, Thank it's, you. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Well, We're talking faith. Before in- you go away. What? You have check your email. You do have things from Rick if you haven't seen them. Oh, <laughs> okay. Now would be a good time for me to look at them. All right, thanks. Uh, we'll we'll talk to the Reverend Brian Souter from Faith and Place when we return. The best thing about my job is the excitement of uh, waking up every morning, just wondering what the challenges are going to be that day. So how do you like my office? We lead with safety. It's the first thing that I think about when I wake up. It's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. We've got a number of employees in the office, myself included, who've been been around for 10, 15 plus years. So people enjoy working for the company. Staff retention is a thing that we're very, very keen on. It's no secret that the world of arboriculture is a male-dominated industry, but there is a fearless group of women out there that are determined to change that, and I'm really proud to be one of those women. At my office, I feel like you could take just about anyone, put a crew together, and send them out to a job and have it be successful. And that has to do with trusting the people you work with, feeling safe around them, and knowing their strengths and weaknesses. One of the proudest moments working uh, with Barlet for me was being the first to do training in a Spanish class. Bartlett is all about promoting from within. We really want to focus on our people and make sure that they're trained, make sure that they understand their role and slowly grow through your experience and then you improve and, and move on to different roles within the company. There's always new positions, even at a base level, myself included. I started off as a climber and have worked my way through to being local manager in the office. Bartlett has been really great about recognizing any kind of roadblocks for different genders, different races, people of different nationalities, and just kind of taking a bulldozer to all of those roadblocks. Every tree needs a champion. 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 Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. 
All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Um, Peggy, I'm furiously downloading images from meteorologist Rick DeMaio. So if I get caught uh, sometime during this conversation, <laughs> that's what's going I'm going to make you uh, pick up the slack, and you'll, you'll just have to dump, jump in. Uh, meanwhile, we've, we're very pleased to have the Reverend Brian Souter from Faith in Place uh, with us this morning. Welcome back. Uh, welcome back, Rev. Hey, so good to be here. My favorite show, and I can't help but start like with a food pun, right? Like, let us talk. We got lots to talk about today. Uh, on, uh, okay, I can handle that. There we go. Uh, you know, Jesus, you, we're gonna have a blast. I can tell already. This we're is gonna, gonna, gonna squash a lot into already. this half hour. Whoa. You know, nobody gives me a rim shot when I preach on Sunday morning. So this is a Sunday morning with Mike and Peggy Malecki. We can make, I'm make I was just going to say that every, every preacher needs a rim shot on Sunday morning, so that when they, because you know Amen. who does dumb jokes better than your local minister? All right, and uh, <laughs> all right, well, you, you can preach, Mike. I, I appreciate that. Preach it away. Take it away. Okay. Well, no, I, it's not me. You know, the thing is, you, you, the problem is with being a preacher is that you can't do any risque jokes. So uh, they all have to be kind of sweet and kind of dumb, you know? There you go. There you go. Well, I'll bring all the sweetness and dumbness. You all bring the risque and we'll have a lot of fun. We'll, we'll, we'll relish the vegetable jokes, yes. Oh. Yeah. That's all the time we have, folks. Good night, everybody. Don't forget to tip your, tip your cows. All right. Here we go. Uh, wow. Okay, that's a great wow. start. Uh, now we have to get serious, you know. We've got and, to get... and why is he here? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea why he's here. I have none at all. All right. No, actually, you're here for a number of reasons. And, and I actually want to start, before we get to um, the, uh, the Green Team Summit, Rooted for Healing, which is your sixth annual summit, and it's virtual, and it will be starting this evening. Uh, at uh, 5 p.m., so uh, you you can sign up right now. You can just go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and sign up for it, or you can go to uh, faithinplace.org and do the same thing. Either way, it's very easy, it's free, uh, and uh, you've got some great speakers here. We'll get to that in a second. I want to start, however, with the, uh, the passage uh, by the House, uh, the Illinois House, um, of the uh, and it depends on who you talk to, um, but it's SB twenty four zero eight and it's I thought I oh right the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, and um, um, one of one of the emails I got had an extra C in there. It's like C C E J A, but uh, Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, um, and it and it is um, it's it's a groundbreaker. In, in the uh, in the United States in terms of um, social justice I would say and and it also gets uh, props up the uh, solar energy industry which was in danger of basically falling off a cliff um, it it does a lot of great things in fact there's a um, 
a fact sheet that uh, the uh, Illinois Clean Jobs Coalition put out that I've got a link to. Um, and they say that it sets Illinois on a path to 100% clean energy future by 2050, delivers 100% carbon-free power by 2045, uh, by closing coal and fossil gas on timelines that guarantee climate action, public health protection, and pr- prioritization of environmental justice. It creates new training programs for soon-to-be-released people who are incarcerated for jobs in the solar and energy efficiency sectors. Um, It has minimum diversity and equity requirements for all renewable energy projects and dedicated support for disadvantaged contractors to participate in the clean energy economy. Uh, Speaking as the CEO of uh, Faith in Place, those elements must have you very excited. Yeah, super excited. And I think it's, you know, it's appropriate that we started with a little humor today because we are in a moment where it's code red, right? The United Nations came out, it's code red for humanity. We got to take action on climate change. And these things, you know, coming out of the pandemic, coming out of the murdering of George Floyd, the ways that we're seeing our disconnection with each other, you know, those things are real and those are happening. But our emotions and how we respond to them can be... Mm-hmm don't have to be dire themselves, right? We can take action together. We can build community together. So Mike, Peggy, you got me, you know, Sunday morning, so you got to stop me if I start preaching, but this is, <laughs> this is where we're rooted for healing, right? This is where we come together to take action together. And the Climate Equitable Jobs Act is an example of that. It's historic. It's a result of thousands of conversations all across Illinois, three years campaign working to get this to this moment where the Illinois House passed the bill um, it's in the Senate, hopefully voted on tomorrow, and then sent to the governor to be signed. But I'll tell you a quick story. You know, a, a number of clergy came together to talk about, you know, as we were doing these listen, lead, and share conversations, as we we're shaping this campaign of what do we want to do in Illinois to lead the way on climate change, we started talking about mass incarceration. We started talking about uh, communities in Chicago that have 40% unemployment. We started talking about, wait, these things are connected. How can we put together programming that not only curbs greenhouse gas emissions, but creates renewable energy jobs and jobs for those who have high unemployment, those who are coming out of prison? How do we connect those dots? And that you see that in a lot of the programming um, that's coming forward. When this bill is signed by the governor, uh, we're anticipating Monday night will come out of the Senate and be signed right away by the governor. Uh, we'll start a launch process of implementation. And one of the pieces we'll be implementing is the creation of 13 workforce hubs strategically located throughout Illinois, where if you're looking for a job, these jobs are coming in solar energy, wind energy, energy efficiency, and all the related sort of jobs, you can show up at one of these workforce hubs and you can learn about the different job opportunities. And then you can pursue the career, the wealth building opportunity that you want to take on. And then you can get trained in that. And then there'll be wraparound services to help whatever you might need. Maybe it's affordable housing, maybe it's counseling, maybe it's childcare. And then you'll get placed, assistance and placed into this long-term career or starting your own business and building your own wealth. And we're really excited about it. This is this to me from Faith and Place's perspective. It's right where we are as people of faith. You know, Faith and Place is diverse, right? We're Muslim, Jewish, Baha'i, Christian, Protestant, Catholic, you name it. We're people of spiritual faith that believe that our environmental crisis is rooted in disconnection. And when we come together and bring all that diversity together, we see that how everything's connected. We can be rooted for healing in that. 
and we can create amazing programs that are going to lead the nation here in Illinois when we pass the Climate Equitable Jobs Act. Then that will ripple forward. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to keep going, but Mike and Peggy interrupt, interrupt me, but then that will ripple forward, right? If we can do it here in Illinois in the Midwest, we can continue to do that not only in other Midwestern states, but we can do that all across the nation. And even as we work on federal climate actions, we can really be leaders in that sort of way and, and make a big difference yeah. uh, in the world. Become a model and come up with best practices. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's so inspiring, right? But it all, it all begins, you know, with us coming together, taking that time. You know, I was so tickled listening to Melinda Myers. I, I got my start at Faith and Place Gardening, fruit and vegetable gardenings, bringing people together. Yeah. Gardening's hard work, right? You got to know a lot of stuff. She said, what did she say? It's like two and a half hours of Q&A, right? That she's taking people have questions about <laughs> yeah. gardening. That's what we need, mm-hmm. though, about around our, our, our spiritual and ecological crisis of disconnection. We need sessions where we come together and talk about that disconnection. How can we build more health, right? How can we make our garden that's internal more beautiful and our community garden more beautiful in that sort of way? So, you know, gardening is an old ancient meta- religious metaphor that I can't help but tie into your audience today. That's what the Green Team Summit's really all about. It's about how do we come together and the, bring the wisdom of the of the ages about gardening for healthier communities and start to learn from that from each other so that we can tend to our garden and grow beautiful things as we move forward into the future. Uh, I will say something uh, very briefly uh, about the uh, the bill as it as it moves towards the Senate, uh, Illinois Senate. It's 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 not perfect, and there are still things in it that some folks. I mean, there's there's. This is the very def- definition of compromise, um, yeah. and, and mainly it was among the legislators, uh, unions, uh, and environmental groups. Um, uh, <laughs> Republicans pretty much hate the bill all the way down the line, uh, which is a shame. Uh, but there are still things like bailing out uh, Exelon and the nuclear plants there we had Dave Kraft on our show a couple of weeks ago from the Nuclear sure. Energy Information Service and he just says why are we funding uh, uh, nuclear energy at, you know if it's not profitable why not let it fail um, and then there are there's the, the fossil fuels who who lobbied and and bought more time to run their plants uh, they we wanted them out by maybe as early as 2030 well it's 2045 in the final version of this so um i for you do the the social justice aspects of this bill outweigh some of those compromises yeah i think that's a it's a fair question at the end of the day when we look at these sort of equity centered programs right and when we talk about moving from nine percent of our power in illinois currently is from renewables to by 2030 hitting 40 percent of our power from renewables to see that in the bill to see the job training programs that are going to take place to see 80 million dollars set aside annually to support these social justice causes at the end of the day yeah we're all in we, i really want to i do want to say mike that um the bill came out of the house with 83 votes um a heavily bipartisan bill there were yes some republicans that did not uh support the bill but there were a number who actually did at the end of the day who who made this a bipartisan work and then I just also want to lift up Governor Pritzker. Uh, he has stood strong in the midst of a lot of pressure uh, to make sure that this is a climate bill, that there's not only a closure date for the fossil fuel plants by 2045, but that there's a tracking system up to 2045 so that we're, we're ramping down those, those dirty emissions uh, in the process. And that this doesn't all happen you know, later because we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions 
now, right? Climate change is happening right now. We need to take all that action. So if you give me at the end of the day an opportunity to support all these good causes and knowing that we have we live to fight another day, absolutely we're going to be supportive. Um, an old organizer once told me I was very involved in the passage of FIJA, the Future Energy Jobs Act in 2016. Uh, Pastor Booker Vance, after we passed that bill, he, he looked at us all and he said, you know, a win is only as long as a day. And you celebrate tonight, but tomorrow we roll our sleeves back up and we get back to work. And that's what we're going to be doing here going forward with the Climate Equity Jobs Act is celebrate the win. It's a huge historic moment for Illinois. It's going to have a huge impact. And we continue to be faithful to roll up our sleeves and get back to work tomorrow. Excellent. All right. Well, that moves us then to the the um, the Green Team Summit coming up uh, starting again this evening. Uh, rooted for healing. Where did the, the concept of that? I mean, uh, okay, let's let me start with a question that, you, that that I posed to you the other day when we were talking. I say here here we are. We just, as you mentioned earlier, code red uh, in terms of our worldwide environment, and uh, here you are trying to get people to pay attention in the middle of a pandemic uh, to all this other stuff. And and you know, and then we've got the sidebar, which is this energy bill going through. There's a lot of moving parts here. And the How rest get... of everything else happening in life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, wars and whatever else. Um, how do you get people interested in this? Well, listen, the, the thing I want to talk about in response to this, so Faith in Place, we have, I think it's 23 full-time staff. And these are staff located all across Illinois who are working from, you know, Carbondale to Central Illinois to Waukegan and Lake County to the suburbs to here in Chicago. And the staff are diverse. They're diverse religiously. They're diverse from the various regions. They're diverse racially. And we bring all these different perspectives together. And what we have really come to learn is, you know, throughout all of this, as we experience the wildfires, right, as Hurricane Ida ravages, uh, you know, here and more hurricanes are coming because of climate change, um, as we're dealing with the pandemic and the social unrest around it, as we are trying to navigate, even as an organization, like, do we stay remote? Do we do this hybrid? You know, all those sort of things that are coming at us nonstop every day. The most beautiful thing that we've done as a staff team is to bring ourselves together in sharing circles and to express to each other, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on? What are you finding that works for you to keep you grounded and centered in a, in a clear purpose and a mission? And as we've done that virtual. as a staff time, say, say that again. Virtual. 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 Yeah, Virtual. your team from the inside, yeah. Yeah, and then as we've done that, the better we've done that, Peggy, the more we've been able to help our green teams do that. So we, we serve 180 active green teams. So a green team for us is a faith community. Again, it could be a, a mosque, a synagogue, a temple, a church, you know, 180 of these throughout Illinois who are committed committees of people in their respective faith congregation or community who are actively seeking to work on advancing environmental justice, environmental programming, climate change programming in their local neighborhood. And they're diverse, too. Those green teams are very diverse, as our staff team is diverse. And so we found the more we've embodied this practice internally, the better we've been able to serve our mission externally out in the community. And that's what we're really doing at the Green Team Summit, is we're, we're coming to you as a staff team who has pulled up all these diverse resources of how to be rooted for healing, how to acknowledge the disconnection that we feel, the turbulence that we feel, the fear that we face, currently in our nation, in our state, and how do we courageously look at that 
And together, as people who are rooted for healing in place, take action to, to honor that. And I'm so excited about the Green Team Summit coming up. You're going to see um, so many cool things. Everything tonight, Veronica Kyle is going to host a kitchen table conversation about eco-womanism and the perspective that eco-womanism brings. Uh, there's going to be a libation ceremony throughout the Green Team Summit. There's going to be uh, meditative walks that are led throughout beautiful areas here in Illinois that we're, we've got some creative tech lined up for you to experience Heron Pond in Southern Illinois. We're going to actually do one of these racial healing circles together so you can learn about what it means to come together and to have question prompts to inspire a deeper reflection for ourselves and each other. Um, we got like farm tours. Many of our congregations have started farms. So we're going to give you a glimpse of those farms. We even have Chef T who's down in South Shore, who's done a cooking video demonstration. Chef T uh, is a vegan soul food yeah. uh, chef down in, down the South Shore. He's fabulous. So you're going to get an insight oh, into, into that. So there's all sorts yeah. of really cool healing practices that we're going to learn from each other throughout the Green Team Summit. Um, it's really beautiful. I'm so excited about it. And I can't wait for you all to attend. Uh, that's a, a, a great start uh, to this. Um, I want to mention that last year we had Veronica Kyle on our program uh, in anticipation of uh, the Green Team Summit. Uh, and as you said, she starts at 5 o'clock tonight with healing from an eco-womanist perspective. Uh, that is, There's just one uh, uh, session tonight. And then uh, tomorrow, Monday, September 13th, uh, you have two sessions, so one at 5.30, which is Healing with Land and Water. Is that where you're going to have one of those tours? Yeah, the Healing with Land and Water are going to include the tours as well, as well as the libation ceremony, which is something that we'll all learn about a little bit more together if you're not familiar with it. Um, it's it's going to be uh, quite profound. Uh, healing with Youth then tomorrow night at from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, I got to tell you, so one of the things that we've had tremendous success at Faith in Place is we've expanded our high school youth program. We call it our Eco Ambassadors Program. These are youth from all over Illinois um, that are just the future, you know, not only the future, they're, they're leaders now, right? And we just give them a little bit of boost and they take it even f- further. But the, the youth are going to be there at the summit and they're going to give their perspective on what has brought them compassion and healing throughout this time as high schoolers, right? And all they're dealing with, with school shutting down and being disconnected from one another, they're going to share some of the healing practices that they use through the Faith in Place program over the year. So, you know, what a better opportunity to come to hear directly from youth, right, about what they're experiencing, what they find nourishing and helpful in this moment. And then on uh, Tuesday uh, from 5 to 6 p.m., racial healing uh, at 6.30, healing with food, and then at... uh, Eight o'clock healing practices, which will wrap up the uh, the summit. Yeah, and at that healing practices one, you'll get to hear directly from our staff, who are going to share some of their ways that they've practiced healing throughout the year, um, and, and mm-hmm. furthering that connection. So this is going to be it's going to be a great summit. When you sign up, you get access to all of it. So you know maybe if you're like, oh, I, I can maybe come Tuesday night, but not Sunday, that's okay. Sign up today at the greenteamsummit.org or go to the website, um, sign up. When you do sign up, you get access to all sorts of cool resources. You get an ebook that has some great healing spiritual quotes. You get access to the resources on the website and all the future recordings of each summit so that if you want to go back, check out those recordings. Um, the other thing too is we're collecting recipes. 
you know, what are, what are the recipes that you've been using that's helped you embody nourishment, health during this time? And we're going to share a recipe book of all of our diverse, you know, sort of recipes. It's going to be really cool. So definitely check it out. You can definitely sign up either at faithandplace.org, greenteamsummit.org, or if you visit the website here that you have, Mike, um, there's lots of ways to, to go sign up for free um, and join join the movement. What yeah, are the th- and speaking of, oh, sorry. No. Say, speaking of recipes, Chef T will be um, actually doing a cooking demo, right? Chef T will be doing a cooking demo. I got a I got a sneak peek of the of the video that we did of him doing the cooking demo, and it's like you're right there in the kitchen with him. Um, you hear the kitchen noise. You can see how hot it is right in the kitchen that's going on, and he's gonna. It, it's really really powerful. You, you can't miss it. I know you love having uh, or being able to talk to people in person. Uh, Peggy and I have been at several of the. Uh, the summits in the past, but the virtual or online versions of this have given you an opportunity to reach even more people. You sent me some information from last year, which is pretty amazing. 49 of 50 states uh, plus uh, District of Columbia and Puerto Rico attended. There were 25 countries represented uh, at uh, the conference last year. 1,100 individual participants uh, just uh, amazing stuff, and of course my computer is failing now because the power is going out on it as I'm doing this. But tell us about how some of that. Um, oh no, not the one we're broadcasting on. It's my my my, ba- my backup on. So uh, uh, that must be something to keep in mind for future events. Yeah, and it's you know we're we've got a ton of people uh, registered already for tonight's event. We want more people. Uh, we're going after that. Uh, you, you know, you want to take a guess? So the 50th state that didn't didn't join. So we're, we're really excited to make sure someone from North Dakota joins the cause. We want all 50 states, right? Even more, even more countries attending. Um, but we have great partners all across the nation who have partnered with us: Interfaith Power and Light Network, Green Faith, um, and many more. You can actually see all the partners who have helped us get the word out about this amazing event on our website. So many generous people have sponsored this event to make it possible. You can check out the sponsorships. We're looking to even raise more sponsorships. My team told me uh, the other day we're like seven thousand dollars away from hitting our sponsorship goal. So we're gonna we're gonna get there by Wednesday, I'm sure. And, um, and you are taking individual sponsors too, not just corporate. Yep, individual sponsors. Of course, we shout out to both of you for sponsoring as 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 you all. It's so amazing to have your support um, in in this effort, and uh, this really it's just a, a beautiful coming together of people in, in our shared home, right? Our shared garden together tending it, making funny vegetable puns as we go. Uh, and, and <laughs> yeah, if you got any more, I mean, we're out of time, so we need uh, one more vegetable pun. Anybody anybody uh, got a rutabaga joke uh, they want to throw in here? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We're I just well-rooted in puns today. So. We're, we're well- oh, my goodness. Are you telling well me, Mike? That- all right. Well, there we go. That's, I was just looking for, for an excuse to do the rim shot again. That's all. Well, are you telling me it's time to make like a, a tree and leave? Is that what you're saying, Mike? Yeah, something like that. Okay. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rev, it's always yeah, a you're pleasure. You're hosting next week, Rev. We're, we're taking the oh, week off. What, we're good. That well, sounds good. Put me, in, put me in, Coach. That'd be great. You know what? <laughs> and, and, and if you see me online... Um, uh, you better be careful because I might play that at some point. I might just pop one of those, pop one of those in there. I, I, I'm not sure that's the appropriate place, but uh, uh, folks, uh, we're too corny this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. 
and I missed it. All right. We're, we're letting that one uh, drop. Uh, it starts this evening. It is the Green Team Summit, 6th annual. This year's theme is Rooted for Healing. Uh, again, uh, tonight at 5, tomorrow at 5.30, Tuesday at 5. Uh, and uh, it's all free. Uh, and you can go to as many or as few uh, of the events as you want. Go to my website or faithinplace.org. Uh, Reverend Brian Souter, so good to, to have you on again, and, and, and much luck. I hope it goes very, very well. Thanks, all. Such a joy to be with you. All right. Have a great Sunday. Uh, now go preach somewhere, all right? And uh, <laughs> Or tell some jokes, one of the two. Uh, all right. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to be talking to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. And welcome back to the program, and there he is, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Um, no big hurricanes uh, looming right now, although we just had one slam into Newfoundland, didn't we? Uh, yeah, that was um, Hurricane Larry. That reached Category 4 status, um, well out over the Atlantic. Kind of made a little bit of an impact on Bermuda. They had some of the outer rain bands. They had 30 to 40 mile per hour winds and high seas, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing how that eastern section of the Canadian Maritimes uh, is prone to hurricanes, especially when they're in their decaying mode. But uh, if, it, if it hits it just right, you can get some pretty decent winds in that area. Yeah, so it must feel a little bit this week like uh, you're getting a break here. It's like, like things have calmed down, or, or is it? Well, they've, they've calmed down here in the United States, uh, as they normally do when you get into the first half of September. Uh, but I just went for a five-mile bike ride and a 20-minute swim in Lake Michigan. And when you could do that on the 12th of September, um, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. The weather is on our side. And the lake's still over 70 degrees. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Peg. I mean, I was in it um, twice last week. Uh, I was in it Yesterday in the morning, I was in it this morning. And, you know, with the southwest winds, I'm always kind of, you know, like walking in slowly to see when I'm going to hit that cooler water. Uh, But it has not been the case. Um, So I think we've completely mixed out some of those layers of cooler water. And the lake, from a standpoint of the depth of the warmth, um, is probably at or near its warmest it's been, um, I think, ever uh, for this time of the year. Because we've had remarkable warmth. In late August, a lot of warm nights, a lot of humid nights. That usually allows the lake to remain uh, warm even during the overnight period. And I think more so, um, we even though we've gotten cool a couple of times, it hasn't been 
the kind of coolness where you have a lot of clouds and a lot of rain. People don't realize it, but when you're raining um, from clouds that are at 5,000 feet where the air temperature is about maybe 50 degrees, that cooler rainwater um, actually cools down the lake quite a bit. So studies have shown when you have a lack of rain this time of the year, uh, the lake will maintain its warmth just because there's no other additives of, of coolness um, into the body of water. So just take a you know warm bucket of water and add you know water to it that's about you know 30 degrees cooler. Um, that water temperature will drop, but we have not well, had that. It. So yeah. Been... Ahead, yeah. No, I was going to say it will dilute it and and cool it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So we haven't had any of that. So man, if if you're if you get a chance to get into the lake. Uh, this time of the year. And the great thing about it is there's no lifeguards. So you can kind of do what you want. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, fine. So you get to be as, like, as crazy as you want in the water. Uh, how, yeah. how, I was just going to ask, Go how's, that, how's that affecting the uh, the uh, evaporation? Um, You know what? This time of the year, it's kind of hard to evaporate because there really isn't um, – the, the sun isn't as intense. Um, you don't really have that difference – of you know temperature contrast vertically that always mm-hmm. evaporates a lot of a lot of water off the lake when you get these lake effect clouds um but you know that can easily change in a couple of weeks but the bottom line uh the lake is actually about 18 to 18 degrees 18 inches lower than it was last year at this time in fact i got a really interesting email from a student who writes for the loyola phoenix and said that they are having a lot of difficulty with water issues on campus. I don't know where that came from, but she wanted to know if the if the recent record high lake levels had anything to do with it. I'm like, no, it doesn't. By the way, here's a link to the lake levels. They're actually about 18 inches lower uh, than they were last year. And again, you know, this is one of the things that I, I, I talk a lot about, Mike and Peg, is that, you know, if you start claiming that every time when the lake levels are high, it's related to climate change, you have to be able to say why the lake levels all of a sudden dropped. Um, so that, that's always the, that's always the other side of, of the coin. You know, it's like, look at the, you know, look at the speech that president Biden had to give the other day on, on, you know, new measures to protect us from the Delta variant, which we thought was probably going to have an impact on the United States nine months ago. Um, but not to the degree that it has, mainly due to the unvaccinated. But still, I mean, I, the, the, the three schools that require me to show vaccination to get into the buildings, they're all right now very nervous about how the next two weeks are going to turn out because I've already had several kids in a few of my classes, you know, test positive. I mean, we're not social distancing the way we used to. Um, we're wearing masks in school. But as soon as I left, you know, my building the other day at Loyola, there was this huge function going on in the middle of campus. And there were probably, I'm not kidding you, 2,000 students there. I counted maybe five masks. So the students, you know, they're taking it seriously in the classroom where they have to, but outside, they're not. So the same thing. It's like you get into these unknowns about science. And as soon as we think we got it all locked down, you know, something happens that you go, hmm, but well, we really don't know everything about it. So um, I keep saying it about climate change. There's very few direct links to the Great Lakes. There, there really are. I think that they're, they're too small of a, of a region of water to have any sort of impact from or on. 
climate change. Uh, there are some smaller, um, obviously, um, you know, regional differences. And we can get into that another time. But the bottom line is uh, the lake is warm. The weather is perfect. The lake <laughs> level is down. And you got about a week left of astronomical summer. So enjoy any of those top three that you want as much as you get can. Get outside every day. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I was surprised yesterday. Well, of course, I'm working on the show, so I'm mainly cooped up in, indoors. But the few times I did go out, I was constantly surprised at how warm, how humid it was. It was uh, and my tropical plants love it out there. So I get, they yeah. get, an, as you say, they get another week or so. And, and, uh, my buddy Dan Costa wrote, uh, the other, uh, week when we were talking about bringing them indoors. Um, now he said the end of September is really a good time because they get a chance to get used to the lower light levels indoors before the dryness yeah. that's created from yeah. your heater kicks in. Um, yeah. and so yeah. that, yeah, that, and that's a great point. I, I think those are the things we should, you know, talk about is how climate change has actually helped us enjoy more of September than we ever enjoyed before. <laughs> and, and whether or not, you know, whether or not we could take advantage of it. I mean, one of the things that's clear is that it's really hard to get dew points above 70 this time of year. So when you got to 67 yesterday, it, it felt humid, but it didn't have that 75. It, you know, in other words, it didn't have that that added humidity that you would typically get in like late July and mid-August from the corn and soybean crops, which, by the way, um, I was looking at the Illinois crop report earlier yesterday. (coughs) And despite the fact that we had record drought in parts of the Midwest uh, and in northern Illinois, um, corn's doing pretty well. Soybeans are doing pretty well. Um, so we, we, we're kind of getting through that, although I still think in parts of northern Iowa and Minnesota, some local farmers would tend to disagree with that. Uh, but the bottom line is, um, yeah, it, it did get pretty humid yesterday, and it's going to stay that way today. And even after a wee cool front comes through, um, that will cool us off a little bit uh, during the middle of the week. We get right back into warm and humid weather. So we're in this literally for the next 10 to 14 days Siding wow. more so on the warmth than the humid side, but definitely uh, warmer than warmer than normal. More like the end of August and the middle of September. Well, uh, I should probably then let's look at. Uh, you sent me like eight thousand of these, and I got them all loaded, so uh, I haven't had a chance to look at any of them. That's uh, is That's this fun. a good one? Is this a good one to start with? Oh yeah, yeah. So this is the six to ten day, um, and the six to ten day basically goes from the seventeenth of September, it says on the top there, to the 21st. So even though we're going to cool off um, next or this coming uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I mean, you're looking at an 80 to 90% chance of above normal temperatures over about 50% of the country. That's really, really impressive. The good news is that the cool weather continues across the Pacific Northwest uh, where they literally have been in somewhat of a cooler than normal pattern pretty much since about early August. And if you notice, guys, yesterday, when the winds turned around to the southwest, what did the color of the sky do? I I wasn't out enough to notice. <laughs> did you notice the haze and smoke pig? Oh. Yeah, and, that, and pretty much every night the uh, moon by later in the evening has been rather rather red again. Yeah, yeah, we, we've definitely got, 
Yeah, we've definitely got into more of a southwest pattern. But when we were uh, cooler than normal last weekend, um, the sky was blue, but there was very little in the way of smoke because most of the fires across portions of Washington state uh, and even into south central Canada um, have been extinguished by some of the uh, recent cooler, wetter events up in that area. So if you want to go to the next map, that's fine, Mike. But this pattern, as you can see, uh, really kind of stays with us all the way through, um, I believe that says the 19th to the 23rd. Uh, actually, it should be the 25th on the top there. I think yeah, it is, yeah. That's the 25, I think, yeah. Yeah, the 25th. So you're talking, obviously, two days or two weeks away from uh, that would be Monday. And this is pretty impressive stuff. Again, when you can have warmer than normal conditions all the way from the south central United States um, into the Great Lakes. So when you look at a pattern like this, you're trying to figure out, okay, why is it happening? Deep trough, low pressure up over the Pacific Northwest, jet stream coming in from the desert southwest up over the Great Lakes. That means that the winds aloft over the south, pretty much from southern Texas into Florida, are very weak. That means that the winds are light, not only in the upper levels of the atmosphere, all the way down to the surface. So our upper level pattern right now is very, very favorable to any tropical system that develops in the Gulf, the Caribbean, or the Western Atlantic uh, to basically make its way far northward. So that's one of the things that you can kind of glean from this particular map. When you look at the dryness, this is not good. I mean, it has been continued um, above normal drought, uh, basically from western Colorado into eastern Utah and western sections of New Mexico. But most of eastern New Mexico and most of eastern Colorado has had very favor favorable precipitation this year. Uh, so it's only really areas from the Continental Divide west have been affected. So clearly that means um, the Colorado River reached record lows, Lake Mead reached record lows. Um, and also it, also it means that any sort of dryness that occurs out there will lead to some sort of late season wildfire activity when you start to get into maybe some late season thunderstorms. But the good news is that most of the areas that were impacted by the severe fires last year, say like in Colorado Rocky or uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, um, mm -hmm. they're doing much better this year. So areas from like Denver south to like Colorado Springs and down into Pueblo, um, I don't think are going to have the concerns that they had last year. And then we go to the 6 to 14. I'm, I'm happy to see in the Pacific Northwest there's rain because uh, yeah. be, there should be rain in Washington State and, and certainly northern Oregon, and that'll make our uh, viewer Randall, uh, Ernest rather, Ernest uh, Renard, uh, happy. Yeah, and again, just think of this as just a, a divot in, in a long period of, of hills and, and mountains. So we're we're get, we're just getting lucky this year from that standpoint. The bottom line is it's it's been it's been pretty dry over a period of time. But you can see the dryness over the four corners kind of gets scrunched down a bit. And the reason why we're into somewhat of a wetter pattern in the eight to fourteen is by it looks like by day ten to fourteen um, a mighty cool front comes down, develops a, an upper low that basically stalls right over the top of us. So while next weekend looks to be a really, really warm weekend as, as well. Um, it's basically this weekend and next weekend, and then after that, lights out from a standpoint of enjoying, you know, mid to upper 80 temperatures and, and a day at the beach. Granted, you can still get upper 70s and lower 80s, but 
to be able to swim in the lake this time of the year, maybe even next year, next week as well, when fall officially um, arrives, um, that's becoming more and more the norm and, and one that I think, um, you know, we should enjoy. Uh, our, one of our viewers, William Brown, uh, wrote, incoming Lake Michigan water to Evanston from our intake, one mile out is 69 degrees. He was... Yeah. Comedy. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I would say that's about right. I mean, I was in the Lake um, Lee street beach yesterday and I was up at Clark street beach today. And I, I figured out that with the Southwest wind, the, the water is actually warmer at Clark street beach than it is at Lee street. There's something about, maybe there's a little bit more of a, of a tug of the water along the uh, shoreline South of Lee street beach that makes that beach cooler. Uh, but I've, I've learned. And then actually the day before um, I had um, uh, swam off the rocks at Northwestern, um, and that water right along the rocks was actually uh, just as warm as well. So when I can get into the lake this time of the year, um, especially when there's no lifeguards, I, I make sure I do it. Okay, I've got some uh, photos here. I'm not sure what they are, so I'll just go to the – what are we looking at, Rick? Oh, yeah. Um, so this is the largest port in the world. This is Shanghai. Uh, this is going to have a typhoon called Shantu, C-H-A-N-T-H-U, um, impact it later on, I believe, probably Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, and the reason why this is a big story is that Shantu at one point was a super typhoon. And if you want, you can go to the next one. Okay. Um, and, you know, we've had some problems with, you know, the shipping of certain products, um, out of yeah. uh, Japan, China, from a standpoint of chips for cars and things like that, and this is gonna, this is I think gonna um, increase the delay. So, uh, what's important to note about this, um, both Hurricane Ida and um, Typhoon Shantou both literally went from Category One to a Category Five in record time. Uh, a trop- a Typhoon uh, Shantou literally went from a tropical depression to almost what we call a, a super typhoon, which is like a category six in, in literally it, like less than 36 hours. So, the, so the, the typhoon center is located kind of hard to say, cause I can't put a, a cursor on it. I don't know if you can Mike as well, but you no. can probably find out where you can probably see where the circular motion is. Yeah. And I don't know if you can go back, Mike, but if you yeah. can go back sure. um, one frame, this, this typhoon actually was looking almost to make a direct hit towards Taiwan and kind of like Hurricane Dorian did back in 2019. Mm-hmm. It said, I don't think so. <laughs> and it made a bit of a right turn. But I used to forecast for uh, Taipei when I worked for United Airlines. And if you could stay on that map. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. What, what's, interesting, what's interesting to note about Taiwan is there is a, a, a mountain range that runs right up the central part of Taiwan uh, up to 3,800 meters, which is almost 11,000 feet. I think it's like 10.5. So Taiwan is a largely mountainous island. It's almost like Jamaica that was east-west, kind of tilted north-south, and then we took the mountains and stretched them 5,000 miles or 5,000 feet up. So there's two main cities on Taiwan, Kaohsiung, which is on the southwest side of the island, and Taipei, which is on the northwest side of the island. If you think about it, both of these cities were put on the side of the island where typhoons don't impact them. So in a sense, and I love talking about this to students because in a sense, 
years ago, probably thousands of years ago, they realized based on the climate that we have to have our big cities and ports on the other side of the island because that's the direction where most of the Yeah, that's the exactly, Peg. That's where the side, um, the east side is where they get hit. The west side is where basically either the storms are ripped apart or you don't get as much rainfall. And that's now, what we're looking at here, right? Exactly, Mike. So if you look at the west side of, of Taiwan, where there's white, you had a Category 4 hurricane basically move 50 miles east of the east coast, and you got no rain on the western side of the island because all the rain was basically captured by the mountains or basically ripped apart. Um, you also see that little area of white on the southeast part of the island. That's because they're actually coming offshore. So with the hurricane, with the typhoon being to the east, the winds were coming around, coming down the mountain. You were getting down slope winds and basically not getting any way, anything in the form of heavy rain. So the area of purple, which is 200 to 300 meters, uh, 2.5 centimeters is an inch. So 250 millimeters is an inch. That's how we do the, the math. So wherever you see the 200 there or the 150, just put a dot in between the last two integers, and that's how many inches you got. So that northeastern part of Taiwan got between about about 15 and 20 inches of rain, which is a lot of rain. But even if you look at the area of Taiwan on the other side, of Taipei rather, they got maybe 10, 15 inches of rain, which they can handle, and the winds were not more than 40 or 60 miles an hour. That's why you don't hear it on the news. So as bad as this typhoon was, Taiwan itself wasn't impacted, but now the big question is what's going to happen when the storm moves north and now makes a bit of a left turn. And again, this is some of the things that we're beginning to see. These storms, they're able to move so far north and make left turns, which we've never seen them done with much regularity, but we've seen them now um, with um, Hurricane, obviously Hurricane Sandy, Tropical Storm Henri did the same thing a couple of weeks ago. And now, obviously, uh, Super Typhoon, now Typhoon, uh, Sean 2, which I think is down to a Category 1.5, that's going to move west uh, and impact Shanghai. So you're going to probably hear a lot about it on the news from a standpoint of how the largest port in the world, and by the way, this is because they had the foresight and passed many bills um, called infrastructure that said, <laughs> hey, if we want to, if we really want to become a economic powerhouse, we need to kind of build up our ports. So previously, the largest port in the world was in Singapore, and now the largest port in the world, which is really a port city, it's like a mega city, um, is Shanghai. And as you know, um, Shanghai or China now has, you know, uh, one of the, if not largest economies in the world. And, you know, infrastructure and planning and adapting and mitigating and fortifying their ports is going to keep them open a lot longer than maybe uh, what happens to us here in the United States when we get hit with Category 3 and Category 4 hurricanes down in Louisiana. So uh, back uh, in the Atlantic, uh, there's not, yeah. much, not much going on right now. Not much going on from a standpoint of hurricanes, but if you look at that X down there in the Bay of Campeche, and by the way, I didn't include this map, and I should have, um, but if I would take show you a map of the water temperatures, sea surface temperatures, for all of the Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean, and the Atlantic Ocean, most of the Western Atlantic is actually at or slightly below normal. There's been mm. such strong uh, tropical easterlies, trade winds, 
um, almost since I would say probably maybe April, we've had just a very, very persistent, strong, low-level flow, which is one of the reasons why that area for the Bahamas um, really hasn't seen a lot of activity this year. Even though Henri hit the United States, that actually formed north and east of Bermuda and kind of wrapped around and moved west. It didn't form in that area that you typically see. So the fact that Florida in the southeast has been so wet this year, there's been such a strong influx of moisture uh, moving through that area, that's kind of cooled the waters down, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with cooling Lake Michigan down. So the only area that's really going to be healthy enough to produce tropical storms and hurricanes is pretty much the Gulf, the Western Gulf and the Bay of Campeche. And I don't know if you can play the next, uh, the next link. Yeah, I don't think you can. This is actually oh. a loop. Yeah, that, that's uh, oh, okay. I didn't realize it was a loop. I didn't load it as a as a yeah, as a as a GIF. Fine. That's fine. Okay. Um, but but if you if you if you do play it back, you'll notice that it actually produces um, a category one, if not category two, hurricane uh, along the Gulf Coast, and it kind of skirts the area of Houston and then Galveston and Port Arthur and Beaumont, and eventually goes right into, believe it or not. Southwest Louisiana. And and this looks like, I mean, this is already three days out, or it's today, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the models initialized last night. So it's almost like four days out. Uh, but it's got about a 965 to 970 millibar low moving into the southwest part of the Gulf of uh, the southwest part of Louisiana. And if it's doing that now, and it's got all of the uh, ability to intensify most likely you're going to hear about later on this afternoon, um, Tropical Storm Nicholas. And if you go back one frame, Mike, to that previous map, um, sure. anybody who goes on to the National Hurricane site, nhc.noaa.gov, um, if you notice on the bottom there, it gives you like the five-day forecast or five-day cyclone formation chance, X mm-hmm. less than 40%, um, orange 40 to 60 and then X greater than 60%. This has got a 90% chance of forming. So it's basically a done deal that it's going to form. Um, But it will become Tropical Storm Nicholas later on this afternoon. Uh, That would be the 14th named storm of the year. We had Mindy this past week, which was a storm for like maybe six hours. That was about it. Uh, Obviously, we had Hurricane Larry, which was a formidable hurricane. I mean, that sucker probably was the biggest hurricane we've seen so far this year. But no one knew about it because it was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Uh, but, but the bottom line is it also had a tremendously large eye to it, and it had a really large wind circle, whereas, whereas Super Typhoon Shantou is very, very small. But this one definitely, the Nicholas coming up, will be one uh, to be reckoning with. And once again, it's going to hit that same area that was hit by Hurricane Laura last year. So, you know, and- in the New York Times – the New York Times real quickly put out a really great article about how the economic infrastructure of not large corporations are being impacted like a BP or, you know, Amico or, or ExxonMobil. But it's really these smaller cities that are really feeling the pinch from yeah. either the, um, you know, the, the preparation or the actual event or the recovery. And I think that's where the Democrats really have to think about focusing their message going into these areas and not saying it's going to be the big corporations. It's really becoming now the middle guy 
uh, that's yeah. being impacted by this more than anything. That article was called Climate Change is Bankrupting America's Small Towns. It came out on September 2nd. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it's amazing stuff, Peg, because I think that's really, it's like when, when Biden gave his speech on COVID, it was about the economy. When you start mm-hmm. to talk about the infrastructure, it's got to be about the economy. You got to get into that middle part of America. You go back to those areas. And just like you see here in Chicago, where a lot of businesses have shut down, you go into those areas that haven't opened up since September 1st. And most people go, really, you're not opened up yet? No. Do you realize how long it takes to rebound from something like this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then people will really start to think about it. But um, you got to get into the got to get into the what I, what I call the roots and the granular part to really understand how how a large bill like a three and a half trillion dollar bill uh, will help these people. Uh, we need to get to a forecast. But one quick question: Do you do you see uh, tropical storm soon to be tropical storm Nicholas ramping up quickly once it gets into the Gulf? Yeah, that that's a good question, Mike. I don't think so. I think part of it is going to have too much wind coming in off the um, uh, off the mainland, and I think also um, it's not going to move over the loop current which is what Ida did. You know, Ida moved over water that was about 87 to 88 degrees Fahrenheit. And there's been also a a couple of storms that have gone through that area, like Grace, that kind of cooled things down a little bit. So I don't think it's going to have the rapid intensification, uh, but it's got all the earmarks of becoming, again, another storm that people, while they're cleaning up, are looking over their shoulder going, not again. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the midpoint of the hurricane season um, is September the 10th. And that was only two days ago. I mean, we've had hurricanes as late as, you know, Halloween in that part of the Gulf of Mexico. So we're a long way from saying goodbye to something like that. Yeah. I saw that, uh, graph, uh, the, just yesterday about how the 10th is the peak, but there's still a lot of time to have hurricanes yep. form. Okay. Uh, let's, let's get us a forecast. All right. So, um, we hit 80, I think it was 87 or 88 yesterday. You know, now you're talking 10 degrees above normal as opposed to a month and a half ago, five degrees above normal. So, again, uh, I'll call it very warm, um, humid again today. I mean, last night the winds were blowing all night, which is why our overnight low uh, was, I think, 73. So you get into the time of the year where your overnight lows are about 13 to 14 degrees above normal and your afternoon highs are like eight to nine degrees above normal. So you start to see your departure from normal more so weighted during the overnight than during the daytime. Um, So again, warm and humid today. A weak front migrates southward from Wisconsin. But because the lake is so warm, you're not going to have that strong lake breeze or pneumonia front that we kind of get oftentimes during the springtime. Nonetheless, a couple of thunderstorms moving through the area late tonight um, into into the area uh, tomorrow. We could have spent the whole a whole show talking about Tuesday storms, but obviously that is gone. Uh, but those are pretty impressive. One and a half to two inch hail uh, was pretty amazing. Uh, but it does look like we warm right back up again, or at least cool down Tuesday and Wednesday, warm right back up again into the mid to upper 80s. So this time next week, we'll be talking about the arrival of fall, but also the continuation of summer. Okay. Well, then uh, I, we'll... I, sounded like, I sounded like George Will there for a minute, didn't I? Uh... <laughs> Uh, how's I don't know the boys of summer is that what you're going to referring to uh at any rate I was waxing poetic (laughs) (laughs) okay Rick uh 
thanks a lot, man. And uh, I guess uh, we'll enjoy the uh, the summer weather while we can, and uh, we'll see how much of it lasts till next Get week. Outside and enjoy. Yes. Yep. yep. Go Badlands, right? Um. <laughs> huh. <What? laughs> okay. I don't know. Oh, I go go cats. Go cats. Northwestern won yesterday. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, that was that was a win that they should have had picked. So we'll we'll be mildly excited about that. We'll see what happens when they get more into the Big Ten, right? <laughs> okay. All right. You have a good one. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All righty. That's what we call in the business a wrap. Why is like, your camera bouncing up and down? Because my hand is on it. I'm doing this. I, I it's on it's on the a little thing of books here, and uh, if I touch it, I mean I should use a mouse, but I don't have any room on my desk here for a mouse. So let's just get out of here. Oh, let's do this. Um, and uh, thanks to gosh everybody on the show today. What a a, a, a great program, Melinda Myers. Uh, Want to thank Melinda for being on the show and Catherine Tellick. And good luck. To, if you want to volunteer, go to my website and, and, and look at what she's doing to get recycling in Chicago. Uh, the Reverend Brian Souter from Faith in Place. That starts this evening at 5 p.m. You can register. Uh, thanks to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Happy birthday, Kathleen. Thanks to Legata and to uh, Basil the dog. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 